0: so we are in the process of taking a look at what we charge not necessarily as an indication of how much it costs us to put this service out there but actually how much value is the customer unlocking
1: welcome to the vitalize podcast i'm your host justin gordon the director of marketing at vitalize venture capital On today's episode, we have Rachel Kosser, the co-founder and CEO of Virtual Sapiens, a machine learning SaaS platform to help client-facing professionals master communication skills over video. Like a virtual coach, Virtual Sapiens leverages expert knowledge and body language and presence, providing users with individualized and consistent coaching prompts, as well as in-call feedback over time. Virtual Sapiens amplifies human connection builds human skills, and leverages cutting-edge technology to do so at scale. And We dive into how this company got started, what they're doing today, and much, much more. Let's get to it. Rachel, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Justin, for having me. I've been looking forward to this.
1: Yes, there's a lot to talk about with Virtual Sapiens, your journey, your story, but I always have to level set for people who don't know. What is Virtual Sapiens, Rachel?
0: Virtual Sapiens is an AI software. We leverage AI and thought leadership in nonverbal communication and behavioral insights to provide client-facing professionals with feedback and coaching on the way they're showing up on video so that ultimately they can improve and feel more comfortable, more confident, and more effective as communicators on video.
1: Which we're doing a lot of, apparently, now in the last number of years, which is great. So take us through from the beginning. Why did you decide to start this company, Rachel?
0: My background is a little all over the place, but I was a ballet dancer professionally with Boston Ballet for 10 years. And so this art of expressing, communicating, and connecting with audiences, all without the use of words, has has been a big passion of mine, right, in a very obvious way. And when I retired, I retired in 2016 because of a very unfortunate injury. I uh, found myself in more of your typical nine to five role at Harvard University. And I noticed actually that what I had initially thought was a very non-physical job was, in fact, very physical. And that communication you know, depends on some of these non-verbal nuances, even in this day to day. You don't have to be on stage performing as a ballet dancer to leverage non-verbal communication. So that, that led me on this path. I became a nonverbal communication expert in my own right and a coach and facilitator for leaders and salespeople globally. And then when the pandemic hit and we moved our communication online, I just saw such an interesting opportunity with video specifically. And I thought, wouldn't it be amazing if I could you know, scale what I had been doing very non-scalably, very manually, and actually open up access to this kind of quality communication feedback you know, for, for whoever may actually find it relevant and helpful for them in their professional capacity on video.
1: Take me through the beginning stages of that because going from like you're doing the work, you're coaching, you're leading it to then uh, AI like tech solution, which is a much different situation. Where'd you start in terms of solving this, starting this this business. I'm curious about that because I always talk to other founders and we hear so many different stories around starting companies and why I start companies. But take me through this kind of early stages what you did to get this off the ground.
0: Great question. I was just thinking like the the leap from ballerina to tech CEO makes sense to me, <laughs> but most people are, are like, I don't get it. So I, I had this idea initially in the end of August, 2020, right? So we'd been in this pandemic for about nine months and from what i was seeing the benefits and the conveniences and the flexibility of leveraging video in a professional sense i was like you know at that time people were still saying like everyone's going to be back in the office after labor day and and i was like i don't think so you know i i don't think so and i i think that video is actually has become activated in this accelerated way like cuz i think if you look at the data going back to before the pandemic video use was already climbing in professional spaces right so Pandemic accelerated this. Had the idea end of August 2020, spoke with a friend of mine who's actually one of our advisory board members now. He's a data scientist. And I just asked him, I was like, is this possible? Like, I know that there are machine learning models out there that know what a human is and can follow posture and hand gestures, like an eye gaze. So like, is this possible? And he said, you know, some of the things I had provided him with a list of metrics and behaviors, like I'd want to look at eye gaze, I'd want to look at hand gestures, facial expression variation, all this stuff. And he was like, some of these things are very doable. Some of them are a little challenging, but also doable. And so I took that and ran with it. And decided to completely discount his mention of things being challenging. And I, which I feel like is just like classic founder entrepreneur bias, but um, selective hearing. uh, But uh, I found I was connected with a group of engineers in Ukraine, and we worked together to build an MVP. I very quickly realized that I needed a technical co-founder, not just because I needed someone technical to lead the technical side of this 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but because I actually like really needed a partner. it was it was a very lonely road uh, faced with a lot of doubt and like almost daily people saying how much they you know hated meetings and hated video and like all this stuff and I was like, I think it's because we're not you know we're not looking at video. For its benefits. And we're using it as a slapstick solution to everything, which, you know, is, is not not ideal. So
1: one thing I'm curious about with that, working with the uh the team in Ukraine, I think a lot of people kind of go through the same type of thing. Do I get a technical co-founder or do I outsource the debt to a dev shop or something? At the time, when you started with the dev shop or like the people in Ukraine, so take me through why you decided at that point at least to not go for technical co-founder. Maybe you had tried. I'm curious. Why you decided to outsource versus technical co-founder from like the start.
0: Definitely. And yes, you're right. Like I've had this conversation with so many founders, especially obviously non-technical founders. So yep. I needed to build something quickly that was almost a feasibility study, if you will, like a POC. And at the time, I didn't know I didn't know any engineers really who were looking yeah. to be co-founders, right? And and it's a very specific thing to go up to a technically um a, a technically talented or, or savvy person and be like, hey, I have this idea. Like, do you want to do you want to build it for me? <laughs> like they get so many of those requests, right? They want to build something they're passionate about, of course. So I just didn't have anyone in my network who fit the bill. And so I also, you know, to be honest, didn't think that I necessarily in the early stages needed a technical co-founder. You know, I had great guidance from my friend and advisor, and he was the one who was helping me make these critical decisions up front. He essentially was my interim CTO. Like when I met with investors, Clayton would join and that's how he was my interim CTO. So there wasn't like an immediate need, but the immediate need to prove out at least a a small piece of what we were eventually going to be trying to do was crucial. And that's why I leveraged the offshore talent.
1: Yeah. There's so many things that go into that decision. And to your point, you can make a lot of traction without having the technical talent to start with, even if eventually you need that, which is the case here. Um, Then how'd you find your co-founder, your your technical co-founder?
0: Yes. I had technical co-founder CTO job descriptions out on your typical You know, technical job boards. I had it out on LinkedIn. I had it out on angel.co, Y Combinator, startup school founder, all that jazz. And actually, and I think here's a little bit of the key. Neil, my co-founder, found my job posting, saw what I was up to because he had had a similar idea. Mm. he had his first company had been acquired and he was at this big firm and he was noticing how all of these big transactions and important meetings and acquisitions were all being done on video. And then he has three kids and he was noticing how his kids were all on video and it was pretty uncomfortable and tiring and awkward. And he was like, there's got to be a better way to do this. There's got to be some way we can leverage AI to make these meetings better. And so he found me on angel.co and he was really impressed by the fact that I had gone ahead and built, you know, leveraged talent to build something, at least something, right? And the MVP was actually pretty functional. uh, And that ended up being a big part of his initial kind of attraction to what we were doing.
1: With with that too. So that was like an initial kind of like, all right, this is interesting i I might want to work with Rachel. Just take me through that process then of like, all right, we're doing this like this is a big commitment to obviously be a co-founder with anybody. take me yes. through that process of like what was helpful on the way with that because that's something founders also struggle with uh like committing to someone then also figuring that out. Just take me through for your experience.
0: definitely. I mean, it's essentially like entering into uh marriage, right. And what's interesting is a lot of the co-founders that I meet now, a lot of them knew each other before. They're either friends, they either went to school together, they worked together on another job. So there's a level of familiarity there, which I think can be a blessing and a curse. And here's why. Neil and I came to the table as complete strangers. When Neil originally reached out to me, I actually almost missed his message because I wasn't really checking angel.co, okay? And I went in there to see something, and I saw this message from this guy, Neil, who was like, hey, like, I think what you're doing is really interesting. Here's a little bit about myself. You know, I, I built a company from scratch, bootstrapped it, got it to like 5 million in ARR, a team of 50 people. Like, I'm a technology leader. I think there's something to what you're doing. I'm impressed that you've built a product. You know, I have people who are ready to, get behind me when i decide what to do next and you know i love startups so a few things were obviously very interesting to me in that there was alignment there he was very open in terms of where he was coming from he was at a stage where he'd already sold a company he was looking for his next thing he likes the startup life right yeah. and and those <laughs> those elements are i'm like already i'm like oh my god did i stumble up cross a unicorn like this is kind of crazy so we um had a few phone calls also it turns out that he was in north of boston right and i'm technically located in boston even though i don't spend very much time there (laughs) and so we had a few phone calls just foundational video calls you know i i liked and appreciated the way he showed up on video which obviously was important to me and we he he was what was really impressive to me was that he took everything that i had done and that i was saying and thinking about very seriously so he wasn't really allowing for assumptions hmm. right and if i would say something like yeah people will pay for this probably like this much he would be like okay how, like how do you know that like what makes you say that much versus another amount, you know? And I mean, I, I had, from my coaching days, I had experience and data to, to at least on a small scale support that. But again, like I was like, I like the way he's thinking about this as an individual. And, um, you know, that I think just laid some really good foundation for us. And then as, as we continue the conversation, We did, we probably did about two to three months of diligence, right? So just going back and forth on this idea and iterating on it. Like he dove right in. He didn't he didn't ask, obviously we did an NDA, but he didn't ask for like, I want to start talking equity right up front. How much are you like, are you gonna pay me? He didn't ask about any of those things until probably two and a half months in, at which point, like I'd invited him to different pitches I'd done. He had brought in some people who he really trusts. To do some diligence on the company. I said, you know, I've been really liking where this conversation has been going. I really love the way you stepped up. I know initially we were talking about CTO, co-founder, like we should probably have that conversation now. And, you know, at that point we sat down and we had, um, more of a like values-based conversation around yeah. leadership and communication and, um, conflict and, and like, you know, uh, what are your fears about this? What makes you think it's going to work against those fears? Um, and it was awesome.
1: From that. So, okay. You have, you have this idea for a tech company. You're like, let's do this. Boom. Try the offshore talent. Doesn't work necessarily how you wanted. it. Got a technical co-founder. Let's talk about the product a bit. What product did you end up even building initially? And take me through what that looks like even today. I'm curious about that for others who are like, what is this product actually that virtual savings has created? about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let's see. My original vision was for the product that's called Sidekick, which is very much what we have today. So it's an in-call communication coach. It sits on top of your Zoom, your Google Meet, whatever. It's platform agnostic, sits on top of your video call, gives you live visual nudges anytime you're doing something that is detrimental to the conversation and connection you're having over video. So things like if you're talking and you're really animatedly looking at the person on your screen instead of the lens, like you'll get the visual cue as a reminder to look into the lens when you're speaking. The psychic actually is a pretty close embodiment to this original initial idea I had. What's interesting is that we have another product and it's the assessment product, which is actually asynchronous. So it doesn't run on your video call, but you would use it almost as like an interview experience and get immediate feedback uh, around that specific interview. We, uh, that was something that I had put together and that I was doing in that like classic, like um, people would send in videos and we would tell them, okay, we're going to get back to you in 24 hours with our like AI enabled feedback. And it was just me furiously Providing feedback reports, um, yeah. but we did that. We did that, right? Because we needed to know if people would accept the feedback that AI was giving them. We needed to know that people would would be able to like follow these directions of sending in a video to receive feedback, and then we needed to hear the value of like, yeah, I would pay like a hundred to one hundred and fifty dollars for that, right? Yeah. And so essentially, anyways, long story short, that assessment, which was very manual, that I had put together actually even before working with this team in Ukraine, uh, is now one of our core products. And it's fully automated, fully AIML. Um, and it's actually one of our like, stickiest, most successful products
1: what was the feedback you were getting from that? I mean, even, I mean, even you mentioned it early days, basically doing the things that don't scale and you're like evaluating yourself. You're like the person behind the box that's just like doing all this stuff manually. So, so like take me through that, that in terms of the feedback you were getting from that, that gave you enough validation on, okay, this is the product. So I'm curious about that and how did that inform maybe, you know, what you decided to, to make changes on or, or build uh, even today?
0: Yeah, so the feedback we got on that was This feedback is really helpful. We're not getting it anywhere else. Uh, The feedback is accurate. And also, the way it's delivered is nuanced enough that I both understand the feedback and know how to improve. Uh, The pieces of feedback that helped us build out the product, because those two things remain true, whether it's me doing the feedback or the AI now, right? Uh, The two other pieces of feedback we got that actually pushed us to build the product out further and also build the sidekick was that you know we would ask people is one assessment enough or would you like to have the chance to improve your score and do more assessments and the answer was almost always yes like i'd like to go back in and try another one um we didn't have the capability of doing that initially so that was interesting to us and then the other question we asked was would you appreciate or would you value more consistent feedback on actual calls, like, real-time. And, and and people's response to that question was always like, yeah, if there was something that would join my calls and, like, just help remind me to, like, change up my facial expressions if it's been, like, two minutes and I haven't made a single change in my facial expression, like, yep. yeah, that'd be really cool, right? And so so that was our early validation of, like, OK, let's, like, let's go ahead and build out these other this other product.
1: You mentioned early on around like would people like pay for this obviously and who would pay for it. I'm curious about that side of it in terms of your customer and who mm-hmm. you found to be like the go to in terms of people using this product. Um, did that match what your initial kind of hypo- hypothesis was around the product? That's always a huge part of it. Just say anything more of that in terms of the market uh, itself.
0: Yeah, this has changed, of course, as the pandemic has has evolved because there was a time yeah. when literally people hate it when I went, like, I feel like investors hate it when anyone says this, but like everyone needed it. Um, (laughs) and so I would have like, you know, just your typical, like new, like new hire training. And it would be like, yeah, video is the only way we're going to connect. So like, yes, let me give you this tool to help you feel more comfortable connecting. Um, now we are, more focused and the, the, more, the more consistent thread of value has been associated with sales teams. So professionals, these professionals who are selling something over a video who have a short amount of time where they have to build trust and show up with a certain amount of authority and engagement to to really hold that, that conversation and, and make that video call worth it.
1: I wanna know your thoughts uh, to that point and knowing kind of who's using this a little bit. like Your thoughts on future of work more broadly, obviously virtual sapiens falls within that future of work if you have people all using computers what are your thoughts on that in regards to where virtual sapiens fits in to like the future of work how people will use this product how it might evolve i'm curious on your thoughts on that rachel
0: yes so future of work as it relates to virtual sapiens is fascinating in the sense that a very general kind of yes or no conversation around remote, in-person, hybrid is is one conversation. Another, again, yes or no conversation has erupted around video on, video off culture, right? One, like but a lot of people blend them together and assume that in-person means no video. But actually, people are being called back into the office, yes. And I think that it's not, I do not think it's going to go back to what it was by any means, but we'll see a, um, a nice balance come come across. and I And I do believe that. So long as people are being effective and intentional about the way that they're leveraging in-person time, video then actually becomes one of the main ways that people will continue to connect with clients and external stakeholders because it's such a time savings. It is such a cost savings. It's such an environmental, like the environmental aspect of reduced business travel is something to consider as well. I think people are recognizing now that in-person meetings are expensive. And that doesn't mean to say that they that they shouldn't happen at all by any means, but if they if an in-person meeting is going to happen, that means a lot. And and when video comes into play, like we are at the tip of the iceberg in terms of what we can do to make these video meetings feel more human and and be more impactful even in terms of the insights that we gather on video that we cannot gather in person so so I think I'm not sure if the, if it's kind of a long-winded way of answering your question <laughs> but there's definitely a lot of meat on that bone
1: <laughs> it's gonna be fascinating to see where we go uh, everyone has predictions and i like to, i like talking to people who are in it you know who people who are in the industry and what they're thinking about and what they're seeing and where they think this is going to go because it does have implications on obviously so many different companies and clearly as we think about that all the time too it's like what's going to be the next company that whatever software company in some capacity impacts people if we do go back to the office more if it is just like hybrid model if it's more remote still uh and there's always going to be people who are on every part of that obviously but where does yeah. that lead uh in yeah. years is going to be interesting as well and i'm curious with that too so that's kind of the future of work where we're looking at where we're kind of headed There's a lot of different options for your company so for virtual sapiens decided to go to tech stars tell me about that in the journey of the company deciding we want to go to an accelerator Timothy, me why why that decision rachel i'm curious
0: Techstars, uh, our conversation with Techstars with the Rue Institute in particular has had been going on for about a year. Um, we we were interested in this particular chapter of Techstars because it's associated with the Ru Institute's Experiential AI um, Institute and, and organization. Um, the managing director Lars Perkins is very very invested in this video space, right? So our conversations with Lars started like I said a year ago and we kept in touch with him and he was really thinking critically about the problem that we were solving in the way that we're solving it today but also in the ways that we might solve it, you know, tomorrow and in the future. And that that to me was very interesting because I certainly had considered other accelerator programs. And the fit just wasn't quite there. And I think if you're going to bring this accelerator onto your cap table and spend three months at an accelerator like this, that that is time consuming, but also an accelerator, like it has to be, (laughs) the fit has to be there. Yeah. And I think if it's not there, it shouldn't, it, like, it shouldn't really be like the first thing that comes to mind. It's, it's accelerators are not right for everyone, and if the fit isn't there, then it can definitely not not be right for your company.
1: Yeah, and you have options as a founder. The world's out there, so it's like, it, what's the optimal situation for you to help you get where you want to get to is ultimately what it what matters. And there are many different ways to go about that. Accelerator being one of the options. Uh, I just had that conversation this morning with another founder who's like considering an accelerator and i was like well at the bare minimum if you're considering it already just apply because let's just see if it's an actual option (laughs) you know it's like oh
0: absolutely
1: (laughs) absolutely (laughs) at least at least that step as a as a beginning point too and i think you had either written about this or i saw an interview or something um because we talked we touched on this a second ago about the pricing side of things and figuring out that point take me through how you think of like the business model behind virtual sapiens because a lot of times there's innovation on many different aspects of what you're doing. That pricing can make a huge difference, obviously for any, every, any company. So I'm just kind of fascinated by how you are thinking about the business model behind virtual sapiens with this like, like layer that lives on top of video. How do you charge for that? Just take me through how you're thinking about that.
0: Our pricing model is one of the things we're actually focused on refining while we're at tech stars. So nice. we are in the process of taking a look at what we Charge, not necessarily as an indication of how much it costs us to put this service out there, but actually how much value is the customer unlocking? And I think that particularly because we're providing people with personal, like personalized feedback, that typically goes within this world of coaching and insights that people pay a lot of money for, and we we've shifted it to this. AI enabled model, which helps us do it at scale, but we're still leveraging that, like we're still tapping into that same value. And so right now we're just trying to look at okay, how can we go to a customer and say, by the way, here's the value you'll unlock in using our tool, and we can back it up with these case studies with these well known companies. You know, is that worth X to you versus? you know, oh, this is your typical B2B SaaS. You know, we have a $9 a month version and we have a $25 a month version. And then we have a, you know, which is to, to be frank, that's what we have up on our website right now. Um, and and that's going, to, that's going to change.
1: Okay, what's going to make you t- take the leap though? Because it can be definitely scary in some ways. You're looking at, okay, let's just like completely rethink this whole model, right? Of pricing and for you, like, A lot of people they don't do that, like they think about a lot of people haven't changed their prices in years, which is crazy. And also they they, never incremental at at best because of what you mentioned, you have these kind of typical models for you. Like you're thinking about that a lot right now because you're trying to get the values based side of things. So it's going to happen. What got you to that point though, but even considering like changing this pricing and going beyond that uh, typical kind of SaaS model, I'm curious.
0: We've had a lot of conversations over the past two weeks with many people through the Techstars network, and we have gotten consistent feedback that we're not charging enough for for what we're doing. And so that's, you know, whatever, you can take that or, or leave it. You know, these are people's impressions, Sure. but we haven't, we also haven't gotten very much pushback from existing customers. So that usually also tells you that, you know, maybe you're coming in a little bit below what they expected to pay for your service.
1: Yeah. That just reminds me so clearly of like if you offer a price app and they instantly say, yes, you've, you've charged too little, right? It's it's like this thing of uh, you're like, oh yeah, that's the price. And I yeah, of course, that's great. And you're like, wait, there's more on the table, obviously. Uh, so always like be playing with that yeah.
0: too. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I'm really trying to do is gather as much feedback and intel as you can from asking questions, or maybe there's someone internally at the organization you're speaking with that can get some intel, like how much is the company spending on these things currently? Like if you can back it up with data based on what they're spending already, it just empowers you to have a better idea of what you can reasonably put in front of them um, without it feeling like as much of a shot in the dark, you know, and whether that's even being on the call and saying, well, like what is the typical budget you have set aside for this type of communication training. Um, and sometimes they don't give you a number, but you know it's it's always worth asking because every now and then they'll be like, oh, typically between this much and that much and you're like, honestly, that is so helpful to know like early on, right? A lot of it's just gathering that data and a lot of it is not as transparent as as you would hope.
1: Taking like a giant leap back, so it's been two years since you like had this idea and like started Virtual sapiens and now you're like an in, in accelerator, you have a technical co-founder like made a ton of progress with everything you're doing. What are some of like the learnings uh lessons anything you've kind of taken away from these last two years to the point you're at now versus when you know, two years ago you're just, just thinking about this even this this space and what this could be and everything, and now you've been running a tech company for two years. Just take me to the like, some of those lessons maybe you've uh, taken away in the last couple of years. Or other founders that might be listening
0: everything is slower than you expect it to be uh and then thing like things that you think are gonna take forever all of a sudden happen overnight so your time your under, your like perception of time is just don't don't trust it ever um I think my some of my biggest challenges and learnings have been around balance and like sus- like sustainable management of my own <laughs> My, straight up, my myself, um, yeah. especially, especially like in that first year, like I like barely got past like the finish line to bringing Neil on board. Like it was so hard to do it myself, you know, for a variety of reasons, right? But but really because I just was pushing so hard, and it really just felt lonely and. And all that. So I think I, I had to put certain practices in place, really understanding like the the what I need from a bare minimum to be happy and healthy from from a balanced perspective. And yeah. the other thing that's pretty related to that is you can always be curious about what other people are doing and how much they're raising and you know what they just did. But at the end of the day, you're on your own journey with your own company. And you should be making decisions based on like your value system, your beliefs that are rooted in whatever data you've collected, your experience, you know. And and seeing what other people are doing is so misleading, and can be such an energy suck that um, it's just again, it's it's impossible to ignore them. It's impossible yeah. to ignore what's going on. But if you can just like remind yourself and check check in that like okay, that's their journey. This is ours, like we're aware of it, but you know, we're gonna stay our course for the reasons that we set out with. And and honestly, that's for me, having Neil as my co founder. He he is he's great at that. He is so <laughs> anchored, right? And you know, yeah. And so it's you know, it's just really helpful to have a partner like that.
1: Absolutely, and, and what I want What I end with here is just thinking about anyone who's going this route of venture back startup raising funding from uh, VCs or angels. You're going this big, big company is what you're trying to build. Uh, that's where you're raising this this money. Typically, what is the big vision for Virtual Sapiens? How does this get to this massive company that you need as a venture back startup? What is that vision for you, Rachel?
0: We want Virtual Sapiens to become ubiquitous with any experience on video. So yes, we're starting with this primary use case of sales and sales enablement and sales training, but we want to use our technology to empower better interviews, to empower less bias in recruiting, to help students who are about to enter this new disrupted world of work. Like we think this is at the at its core, a human problem. And we want to, we really think and believe that our our technology can be democratizing in this really fascinating new way, leveraging video, leveraging AI, and leveraging like cutting edge nonverbal communication and behavioral science.
1: Rachel, where's the best place for people to learn more about Virtual Sapiens and also connect with you if they would like to?
0: Yes. uh, Well, the best way to learn more about Virtual Sapiens is by going to our website, www.virtualsapiens.co. We have... Both of our products are available for anyone to try for free. You can get a small taste of of what we're up to, and even get some feedback for free. So that I would definitely recommend that. Other than that, you know, we're on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is probably where we're most active, but we're also active on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Vsapiens underscore AI.
1: Perfect, Rachel. Thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Justin.
1: Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about us, head on over to Vitalize.VC. You can also follow us on Twitter at VitalizeVC. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Gordon 212 Have a great day, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.